Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's up, saucerheads? This is Ryan Sprague from the Somewhere in the Skies podcast, and I have an exclusive offer for you to come join me at AlienCon Los Angeles. AlienCon brings together UFO researchers, the stars of ancient aliens, and science fiction fan favorites. But most importantly, it brings us all together as like-minded people to talk about these topics. I'll be giving lectures and taking part in numerous panel discussions with some of the most popular UFO and unexplained podcasts out there today. And don't forget to check out live podcast recordings of Somewhere in the Skies and Unknown, hosted by Jason McClellan. It's going to be a jam-packed weekend you won't soon forget, and you get to be a part of The event is June 21st, 22nd, and 23rd at the Los Angeles Convention Center. Tickets are on sale right now at TheAliencon.com. And if you use the promo code SKIES at checkout, you'll get an exclusive discount on all tickets. Again, use the promo code SKIES. For guest info, special offers, full schedule, and tickets, visit TheAlienCon.com, and I'll see you there. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. Today's episode is directly inspired by an article written by Blake Ersk and published in the Omaha World Herald on April 4th, 2019. My sincere thanks goes out to the newspaper for their generous contributions to this episode. The young patrolman took a drag from his cigarette, trying in vain to steady his nerves. Sitting in the small police station, mostly empty in the early morning, 22-year-old Herbert Shermer felt feverish and disoriented. As he later recounted, his body felt completely drained. His head buzzed and his thoughts raced. Did this really happen to me? He asked himself. As an officer with the Ashland Police Department, Shermer said that he had been trained to take notes of incidents in his log, whatever they might be. So there, in the early morning quiet, he grabbed a pen and scrawled a short message in his notebook, summarizing the night's bizarre events. At 2.30 a.m., December 3rd, 1967, I saw a UFO at the junction of USA Highway 6 and Nebraska Highway 63. Believe it or not. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague.
Herbert Shermer's gripping story of an alleged alien encounter would ignite a firestorm of news coverage, and he would become a legend among UFO enthusiasts. His tale of a spacecraft and its inhabitants soon becoming ingrained in American folklore for decades to come. Shermer gave a rare presentation of his experience, recounting in detail what happened that night. The following audio clips throughout this episode are directly from that presentation. Shermer begins by giving us some detail about himself, setting us up for the amazing story we're about to hear. I was born in Missouri, and I was brought up uh, as a service brat. Uh, My father was a career man in the Air Force. I uh, went to school in Japan, Germany, France, and Hawaii. I jumped around quite a bit, so I didn't get much of an education when I was young. But I did finish it all later. When I was 17 years old, I went into the military service, the United States Navy. And my first duty station was in Jacksonville, Florida. And then from there, I went with the Far West Command. And I helped serve our flag and fight for it in Vietnam, even though I felt it was an immoral act of a war. Then... Coming out of the service, I went back to Missouri and spent a couple of months there. And I went home to Nebraska, where my folks were. And I wasn't making very much money being out of the service, you know. Two dollars an hour being a clerk wasn't my bag, really. So I wanted uh, newer fields, so I always wanted to be in law enforcement. So I talked to my father about going into law enforcement, and uh, he decided that uh, the uh, state patrol in Nebraska would be a good idea. So we filled out the forms and everything, and I had to go to the Ashland, Nebraska, to the police department to get a police check. So I walked in, and five minutes later, I was a policeman. They hired me there. Shermer became an officer for the Ashland Police Department. On December 3, 1967, at approximately 2.30 a.m., after checking on two gas stations in the area, Shermer was driving his police cruiser along USA Highway 6 toward Nebraska. As he continued down the road, he noticed something hovering partly above the highway. At first glance, he thought maybe it could have been a truck broken down on the side of the road. But as he approached, it became quite clear this wasn't a truck's lights. It wasn't a truck at all any conventional vehicle. It appeared to be a craft of some sort, hovering in midair. As I got closer and put the high beams of the lights in the patrol car on this, this object started raising, these lights started raising up in the air to about 40 feet. I, I, I think I was something like 50 yards from this. These lights were flashing and they got as they got bigger as I got close to it. It seemed like they were red flashing lights coming out of a porthole, which sort of circled the the uh, craft. It had uh, like a catwalk going around the center of it. It was shaped like a football, very metallic, like a very shiny bumper, if you polished a bumper on a car. It had sort of a reddish, orangish glow coming under, from beneath it. From the glow, Shermer could make out the craft. It was an oblong disc about 20 feet wide and 15 feet tall. It began to emit a loud beep, which became faster 
louder and shriller. Suddenly, the spacecraft shot an orange-red beam toward the ground and quickly vanished. Shermer's initial account of the encounter ends here, with the officer approaching the craft only to see it rise and disappear. But, having experienced missing time during the event, Shermer would eventually go under hypnotic regression. In doing so, he told a much longer story. He had not just seen the spacecraft, he had met with the beings inside of it. Then, there was this white flash that came on to me in the patrol car. It felt as if we were being pulled. And then it was being pulled. You know, we were being pulled up the side of this bank to the left of the road and up toward this fill, the car and I. I, I felt nothing. I, 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 at first I felt kind of stunned and shocked and then I felt sort of tingly. And as the car and I moved up the bank to the top of this fill, this object landed and some legs came out and it sat down. I was just sitting there really motionless. I couldn't move. This hatch came open. And this light came out of the hatch. And this form came down and looked the form of a human being. And this form started walking toward the patrol car with an object in both its hands. Appeared to be hands. And he was walking straight toward the patrol car. As he was doing this, another form came out and started walking toward the patrol car also. As this being got in front of the, walked up to the front of the patrol car with this object in his hand, which looked sort of a squarish oval type. It looked like it had a lens in front of it. And the only thing I could think was, oh my God, what's going to happen now? And this green light came out all over the car and then saw like went back in again. And I felt a sensation then. And then I felt nothing, like I was just there and that was it. And this other being started walking up toward the car. I was sitting straight, looking straight. I couldn't even move my head. And he walked up to the car and the window was about three quarters of the way rolled down and he had an object in his hand, a silver object that looked like a big pencil with a round ball on the end of it. And he pressed this against the side of my neck, which I felt some pain from, and said, ouch. Then he stepped back, and I sort of sat there, and he opened up the car door, and I sort of raised up out of the patrol car. And I was looking at him, and he was looking at me, and he said, are you the watchman of this town? And my response was, yes, sir. He said, come with me, watchman. The being then took him aboard for a tour of the spacecraft, which was filled with lights, switches, cables, and other instruments. At times, the being appeared to communicate with him telepathically, with words Shermer didn't understand. The being explained the spacecraft had come to Ashland to harvest electricity. Shermer would later describe the beings in detail. He would say that they had cat-like eyes and didn't blink. 
They had great white skin and long and thin heads with flat noses and slit-like mouths. They wore silver-gray uniforms, gloves, and helmets, which had a small antenna on the left side of the ear. And at the left breast of each suit, they had the emblem of a winged serpent. Shermer had the impression that the small antennas were somehow part of their communication process with him. And as this particular being led Shermer through the craft, it was a grand tour of cosmic proportions. And we walked a complete circle in there, and I said, uh, what is this? And he said, this is how our craft operates. And he said it operates on electrical reversible magnetism. And we walked back over to where I came up in with him, and this glass sheet came down. And we stepped onto this, which I felt, and we moved up into the second level of the craft. And lo and behold, I've never seen anything like it before in my life, with so many different types of instrument panels and computer type things that you just wouldn't believe it. This cone thing was right in the center of the floor. You can see half of it from on top and half of it from the bottom, but it gave off a red glow that, that sort of, not flashed, but kind of died down and then came back up again. And he says, Watchman, come with me. And we walked over to a screen that was up on the side, I say, wall. And it was sort of like a TV screen. And he pressed some buttons and I guess flipped some switches. I wasn't paying too much attention to him. I was looking at the screen. And some stars in the sky appeared on there. And he put his finger up like this and he said, uh, this is where we're from, Watchman. And then he put his hand back down. He didn't say where, and he didn't say the name. The purpose that we're here is to get electricity. And there was another being standing a little distance away, and the man turned to him, and they both looked at each other, and he started depressing buttons. And he says, watch, watchman. And there was this antenna on the outside of the spacecraft, which angled toward a power unit, and this bolt went out, a color I've never seen before in my life, and I don't even think I could describe it, went out and came back. And this stayed like this for about three minutes, and then it went off. And he turned and looked at me, and I felt as I was getting a, a, a very, very, uh, an awful lot of roll of input of words that I couldn't understand. And he reached up and he, he, he touched me on the shoulder, and he felt real when he touched me. And I think at that time I did touch him, and he felt real to me. And he says, Watchman, come with me. We walked back over to the exit, I'll say, where we came up, and the glass sheet came down again, and we went up into the third part of the craft, which was the observation deck, he said. As we stepped off, he said, Watchman, come with me. And we walked over, and we were standing there looking out of a big plate glass window type thing, and there were... A, there was a control panel right in front of it, and there were two chairs that looked like dentist chairs. You know, I've read to the dentist, dentist chair, but really a superstructure of a chair, better, better than a dentist chair. We looked out the uh, window, and I could see this one being walking back and forth by where my patrol car was. And I 
think I said, wow. He, he turned to me and he said something I, I, I don't understand. And he said some more things that I, I, I didn't understand or, or couldn't make out. And I still don't. And then he pointed his hand toward the plate glass window, I, as I say, referred to, to the stars out there. And he says to me, Watchman, one day you yourself will see the universe as I have. And he reached up and he touched me on the shoulder. And he says, come with me, Watchman. And then he stopped and he said, Watchman. And I turned around like this to look at him. And it felt I was, like I was getting more input of something that I couldn't understand. Then he says, Watchman, come with me. We walked over and we went down all the way out of the craft. As we got outside, this other being started walking back toward the spacecraft and boarded it as we were walking toward my patrol car. And we stopped right by the patrol car and I turned to look at him and he was looking at me. And then again, it felt like I was receiving an input of words of some kind that I couldn't understand. He sort of lifted his hand and then he turned and walked back to the spacecraft, floated up inside. This catwalk thing started spinning. The lights started flashing off and on. This red orangish glow came out from beneath it. It started lifting up in the air, and I guess it got about 100 feet high and just shot straight out of sight. Let me tell you, I was scared. I started feeling me again. When I was aboard the spacecraft, I had hardly no feeling at all. My body was tingling. I was perspiring. I was hot. I felt nauseated. I got back into the patrol car. I turned it around and I headed back for the police station. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Shermer drove back to the station, visibly shaken. He went into the station, looked at the clock on the wall, and noticed it was 3.01 a.m. He immediately went to the bathroom to guzzle down a hefty amount of water. He was very hot and felt dehydrated. After that, he came back out to his desk, not quite sure what to do next. I sat there at the table, and I lit a cigarette, and I said, Wow, what the hell happened? Something happened to me. Did I really see a flying saucer? Did this really happen to me? I looked at my report log, and I remembered through all the training and everything I went through that regardless of the nature or what it was, put it in your report book, because you just might need it. So I looked at my report book, and I got my pen out, and I wrote, at 2.30 a.m. December 3rd, 1967, I saw a UFO at Junction 6 and 63, believe it or not. After logging the incident to the best of his knowledge, another officer entered the office around 6.30 a.m. that morning. He could tell Shermer was distracted and looked shaken. He asked Shermer what had happened to him, but not remembering the entire event at this point, all he told the officer was that he'd seen a flying saucer. The response he got back was a little unexpected. The fellow officer says, uh, I believe you, Herb. He says, I don't think you should tell anybody, Herb, because I don't think anybody's going to believe you. Matter of fact, you're going to lose your job if you tell the people. But I said, Paul, it's the truth. He said, well, you know, he said a lot of people won't even accept the truth. I said, well, I'll wait for the chief. He says, no, I'll go on home. So I went home. And I was, you know, I really felt like everything was drained completely out of my body. And I laid down on the couch. And as I laid there, I started getting a buzzing feeling in my head. And I felt like I was being, I had pressure on my body. I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't, you know how you try to open up your mouth and you can't say help? <laughs> I was trying to say help, <laughs> you know. And then I went off to sleep and the phone rang and it was the chief. And the chief says, get your butt down to the station right now. What is this? You mean you've seen a UFO? I said, I don't feel good. I'm sick and I'm not coming down to the police station. He said, I'll be right over. So the next thing, TV came in, press came in, you know, newspapers, radio stations, and telephone calls started coming in. The story had now made its way across the nation, the local Omaha World Herald being one of the very first to cover the story. The original article by the Herald attracted the attention of many readers, but it also attracted the attention of the U.S. Air Force and the government. And soon, they wanted to investigate. The United States Air Force Conning Committee Blue Book Project, or however you want to say it, investigating team came down to Ashland, Nebraska to investigate me. Uh, a gentleman by the name of John Aarons, who is a friend of mine, 
and a gentleman by the name of Roy Craig, who was a physicist. Uh, John Aarons, he probably hit me, but he was a shrink. Uh, a psychiatrist. <clears throat> Him and I had long discussions, and he told me to tell my story over and over and over and over, and I told it over and over and over and over. And then they found a 25-minute time lapse in my log. And John says, Herb, uh, what happened to you between 2.30 a.m. December 3rd, 1967 and 3 a.m.? And I looked at him, and I couldn't say anything because I didn't remember. So he says, you got to come to Boulder. I said, okay. So they took me up to Boulder, and I met a UFO team there of a lot of people who run a lot of tests on me, and a hypnotist by the name of Dr. Leo Sprinkler administered time regression hypnosis on me, which found out a small detail that I had been aboard the uh, spacecraft and that I had actually communicated with them. They played the tape back to me, and it shocked me. I didn't know what to think. I said, are you, is that really my voice on that tape? You bet it is, boy. I says, my God, what do I do now? The members of Project Blue Book were intrigued but cautious of the story. They would continue to assist in Shermer being put under rigorous hypnotic regression, his story never changing or swaying. After Shermer heard the tapes of his hypnotic regression sessions, he didn't know what to do. The missing time had now been filled with a story almost too hard to believe, even for Shermer. And as this story started to surface, the ridicule back home in Ashland only intensified. Locals weren't letting the officer off easy for spinning this unbelievable tale that was making their town the laughingstock of the entire state. They harassed him aggressively. So I, while I was up in Boulder, the city got real cute, you know. Matter of fact, the night I left, uh, they went down to our beautiful cemetery there in Ashton, Nebraska, and took this dummy and hung it by the neck in a tree and put a big star on it, shot a hose through it and painted the hose with red like blood and put herb across the star with a cowboy head on it. And they really made it look big because they went down to the mortuary and they got the amulets out, a code three run, sour rings, red lights, the whole works. Went over there and they very carefully took it down and put it on a stretcher and covered it up and took it back to the morgue. I, uh, they thought they scared me, but they didn't, you see. That's what they were trying to do. They were trying to scare me, but they didn't scare me because I thought it was kind of funny, and I laughed about it when I read it in the paper and seen all the pictures and everything. But while I was in Boulder, they blew my car up with dynamite, and that really made me mad. I just got through paying for it. The harassment continued, and Shermer tried to take it in stride, but things only seemed to get worse. His own wife didn't believe the story, and after many long nights of arguments and the unwanted attention put on Shermer, she left him. 
and so had many of his friends. Meanwhile, the Conting Committee, an offshoot and response to the work being done by Project Blue Book, gave their conclusions in their official report on Shermer's case, stating no materials or trace evidence was found at the site of the claimed incident. The area also tested negative for traces of radioactivity. Though the analysis of Dr. Leo Sprinkle and several other hypnotherapists concluded that Shermer sincerely believed in the events he described, the official conclusion by the content committee investigators finally declared they had no confidence that the officer's reported UFO experience was physically real. The Condon Committee would later apply the same logic to UFO sightings in general, concluding in 1968 that, quote, nothing has come from the study of UFOs in the past 21 years that has added to the scientific knowledge, end quote. Shermer eventually left Ashland, living for a time in the Pacific Northwest, trying to cope with his experience, the aftermath, and the eventual fallout. He continued to make headlines in Omaha throughout the 70s when the World Herald noted his appearances in TV specials and books about UFOs. Such a sentiment might have been comforting to Shermer in the volatile period after the story spread. In those days and weeks, he sought counsel from friends and family, rarely getting it. But one fellow officer in particular remained steadfast in believing Shermer. Through the whole crisis, I had one very good friend in Ashland, Nebraska. His name is Leroy Dimmitt, very close friend. And he helped me a lot in Ashland. He was one of our relief officers in the police department. And I, I'm, I, re- I was really proud to have him as a friend as way he stuck by. Herbert Shermer died in 2017. And with him, he took a story so unbelievable yet so genuine in his recounting that we may never really know what happened on that desolate road in Ashland, Nebraska, in 1967. The truth remains with Shermer. And perhaps the most important vindication for Shermer himself came from his very own father. Words that Shermer would take with him, but also leave with us to keep searching somewhere in the skies. I went to my father and I said, Dad, I said, uh... I know you have 20-something years in the Air Force, but I asked my father point blank, I said, Dad, what do you think of UFOs? My father never said no, and he never said yes. He just said, son, if you're telling the truth, stick with it. And so I stuck with it. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Do you enjoy true stories of the supernatural from the people who experienced it? Well, then you might like my show, Jim Harold's Campfire. Hi, I'm Jim, and we've been doing the show since 2009. And we talk about ghosts, cryptid creatures, UFOs, head scratchers, you name it. And you tune in and you might hear a story like this one. And as he was driving home, he encountered a shadow person who seemed to be dressed like a monk. I know that sounds very strange, um, but it was a solid black form and it was wearing a hooded cloak tied at the waist 
with the cloak up and it had glowing red eyes. He sees this thing coming out of a really teeny abandoned cemetery. If you haven't tuned in, I hope you'll check us out. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are heard. It's Jim Harold's Campfire, and you can find it at jimherald.com. Thanks so much, and stay spooky. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.